Is it worth it for the Seahawks to trade up from the fifth spot in the draft? We break down some defensive players from the senior bowl and hand out some grades along the defensive line and the defensive tackles specifically for this season on today's episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Nick Lee, your substitute host today. Feel free to throw paper balls my way. I'm the substitute teacher for today. Um, hopefully, we can hold down the fort. Of course, as always, with the distinguished Rob Rang, lots to get to today. It's it's Senior Bowl week. We dive into some defensive prospects that, that might grab the Seahawks' attention during the Senior Bowl practices in the game. And we also hand out some grades, a grade for the defensive tackle unit as a whole for the, for the overall 2022 season. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise? Then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. Our listeners get 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo LOCKED ON in all caps, LOCKED ON in the game. Now for your lead story here on the on the Locked On Seahawks, the opening drive for the first time since 2009, Rob, the Seahawks have a top five pick, which, of course, has got everybody excited. This is not normal territory for the Seahawks, for John Schneider, Pete Carroll, as they have been, I would argue, over the last 10, 12 years, the most steady, consistent NFC franchise in the NFL. Um, and so this is unfamiliar territory to have such a high pick. But luckily for this year, it wasn't due to them uh, tanking it a little bit. It was uh, the Broncos in aptitude this year. They were gifted this fifth overall pick thanks to that Russell Wilson trade um, and have an opportunity to, to select some blue chip talent. Now, given of course, John Schneider's history, um, many expect him to auction off that for that, that top five pick as, as I'm sure he'll be uh, tempted to do, but what if he does the opposite and tries to move up? And I know this is, uh, there's not a, where there's not a lot of uh, room to move. There's only four spots ahead of the Seahawks. It's kind of interesting to think about, um, but is is there any situation in your mind, Rob, where th they could move up from five? I think that there is, Nick. Um, you know, I and I wouldn't just say that. Um, I just think that it's it's so unusual, as you just pointed out. Um, it, it's so unusual for Seattle to be drafting this high, uh, and and of course you have a quarterback in Geno Smith, that, and at this point he's obviously. Uh, going to be a free agent if Seattle isn't able to come up with some type of, of a, a contract agreement with him um, prior to his becoming unrestricted free agent. So you, you have to take advantage of the, of the quarterback opportunities that this draft provides. It's one of the things that uh, the Corbin and I have been talking about is this is just an unusual draft class and that there is very intriguing top end quarterback talent here. Now, if the Seahawks were to take that strategy and boldly trade up to go get a quarterback, obviously that would be such a departure from what John Schneider has done in the past. But just because I'm curious, I thought, you know, let's just imagine a scenario that Seattle says, okay, as you said, Nick, I mean, the Seahawks basically were gifted 
this extra first round pick because obviously you're going to get a first round pick in the, in the Russell Wilson trade, but no one expected Denver to be that bad. No one was expecting to have a top five selection here. So the fact that you have that, well, maybe take advantage of that. And so I decided what the heck I'll, I'm going to look at the, those draft pick trade charts that are you know so popular out there. And of course, no one is going to hold anybody hundred percent accountable to this, but you know, if Seattle was willing to trade its top three picks, number five, number 20, and then number 37, that top pick in the second round, that roughly equates to the 3,000 points. Again, on one of those trade charts that some people use, that roughly equates to the 3,000 points that that number one overall selection is worth. So if the Seahawks decided that they wanted to go up and try to get a Jalen Carter, get a Bryce Young, get their pick of whoever the heck that they want, then they have the ammunition to do it. In this year's draft, still have their own natural second round selection and be able to rock and roll. And so that's one of the reasons why I do think that this has to be something the Seahawks are at least willing to consider. I think any GM worth his salt will at least consider the possibility for sure. And for me, it's, it's something the Seahawks should prepare for, a situation where what happens if, you know they they're they're sitting there with they're start they're seeing these quarterbacks fall to to fall to five, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Are they prepared to take a shot with one of them? And and basically they need to decide can they make a legitimate Super Bowl run by franchise tagging Geno Smith in 2023 and using those premium picks to fill other holes at premium positions and and or do they want to put uh, all their eggs their eight eight dollar eggs or whatever it is now <laughs> into one basket. Um, by, by taking on one of these quarterbacks and really, you know, building around a rookie quarterback when you had such a productive year from a veteran, ex experienced veteran like Geno Smith. For me, I'm leaning towards getting a premier talent at a different position. So there's a bit of a, I'm taking a bit of a different approach than yours. Um, I, I'm, I'm about to get really annoying this offseason about the trenches, especially at center on the offensive side and the defensive line. I just, I've had this epiphany the last few years. You gotta have a disruptive defensive line. That is, I mean, just look at the Bucks in 2020, Rams last year, this year the Eagles. Uh, I'm expecting the Eagles to win the Super Bowl because part a lot, a big part of it being how disruptive that defensive line is. I really want the Seahawks to model that, and I argue that uh, that they really need those things perhaps more than they need to get a blue chip quarterback right now because um, I, I think they can go places with Geno Smith. And so yeah, franchise center. And uh, obviously not going to take that at five, but certainly defensive line. So what I'm bringing up is, let's say maybe they move up to four. You know, do you move up one spot? Do you see? I'm still fuming that the Colts let the Texans win that game and let them leapfrog and, and get them and, and leapfrog the Seahawks. I am still that game more than anything else in week 18 made me so mad because now I, I just think that there's four assumed top four prospects that are just above everybody else. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter and the two quarterbacks. Seahawks are at five. So there's a scenario absolutely where it's Carter, Anderson, two quarterbacks gone at five. So if, if you really want to get one of those top four guys, do you, is there a way to, you know, do a deal with the Colts at four? Um, that's, you move up one spot, the opportunity might arise and say the Colts really want a quarterback, but both get taken in the first three picks and maybe they're okay trading back one in that scenario. You wouldn't have to give up the farm a bit more like you would to trade for the over one number one overall pick, like you were saying, Rob, maybe get to four. And, and if, if this scenario plays out where the two quarterbacks go and then one of those defensive uh, prospects go and you can somehow get up to four with maybe trading, obviously your fifth and then maybe a fourth, fifth round uh, combo. 
and moving up one spot, then you're then you have you're guaranteed either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson there at that spot. And really, I am just a huge Jalen Carter fan. And if 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 you are if you're positive that that he's the next you know uh, Aaron Donald or Chris Jones and the, or you know Will Anderson's the next Von Miller if if that's the guy, I think you pull that trigger. But otherwise, I think you need to be patient. But I, I'm I'm not quite sure that it's worth it right now to to do it for a quarterback unless. The Seahawks feel really, really strongly about one of those two guys. I mean, I'll leave, I'll leave out Will Levis, but obviously the, the consensus two top quarterbacks are Stroud and Young. Um, but for me, I would prefer that I'm kind of on the side of franchise tag or figure out a way with Geno Smith and then start getting some blue chip guys along the defensive line. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think the Seattle's deficiencies along the line of scrimmage is the reason why they are, are not playing further. Because I think that Geno Smith did play well enough for Seattle, maybe not to be in the Super Bowl at this point, but obviously he he played very well. And their their struggles along the line of scrimmage has has been the problem for a while now, not just this season. And I love the fact that you mentioned the Indianapolis Colts specifically, because Nick, just to move up the one spot, it's only going to cost you a couple of hundred points. Again, in that, that draft pick trade chart, you might be able to just do that for a, certainly your second round pick and, and perhaps even a middle round selection. You have some familiarity with a lot of the people who are in the front office there in Indianapolis. Some of them previously had worked with John Schneider. Ed Dodds, one of the, the Colts top scouts was previously with the Seahawks. So again, there's some familiarity there and again when you start looking at the players that the indianapolis colts are going to focus on i mean you said it they have to make a decision at, the, at quarterback um and, and they have some pretty good defensive linemen certainly they already have a monster defensive line with deforest buckner so yeah, it's possibility that they would look to double dip and get themselves another defensive lineman, but clearly they're going to be looking for a quarterback. And so if those top two quarterbacks are off the board, then perhaps the Colts would be willing to trade out, or maybe both the quarterbacks that they like are still available. And Will Levis is a candidate. Anthony Richardson is a guy who's going to continue to move up. So I think that we got to be sprinkling his name into this conversation as well. So again, the point I'm trying to make here, Nick, is I'm not – champion the idea necessarily of packaging a whole bunch of draft picks and go up to get number one although i do love jalen carter just as you do what i'm saying is i do think that this is one of the very rare times that the seahawks actually could look at that and and not have to mortgage the farm to do it not do what the denver broncos did and making the big trade for russell wilson in the first place and then having to you know get insurance with that by then trading future draft picks to get Sean Payton, of course, from the New Orleans Saints. And now they basically just wash their hands away the draft for the next couple of years. And I understand that philosophy. Seattle doesn't have to do that. They can trade what they have in this year's draft and still be able to go up to number one overall. And so to me, that is a very unique situation that I think that the Seahawks have to consider because the Bears already have their quarterback presumably and so they might be a little bit more willing to trade out and seattle is definitely in a better position to trade up than we've ever seen uh basically in the modern seahawk era right and yeah let me be clear too i'm not i'm also not championing champ championing that this happened that the seahawks do trade up um i, I think that if jalen carter is still there at four maybe you give the colts a call and, and see if you can work it out there other than that I'm not quite sure. I think the Seahawks can afford with how much draft capital they have. I think they can afford to be patient. When we return, Rob and I will discuss our favorite prospects at the Senior Bowl on the defensive side of the ball. So don't go anywhere. This is Locked On Seahawks. 
This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. I'm really geeked out by our new partner and sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game Ultimate Football GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise? Well, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team. Play through the season and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world, Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want, when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked On Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost in their franchise when using the promo code LOCKEDON in all caps in the game store. That's LOCKEDON in all caps, so make sure to, to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com, Ultimate Football GM. You Start your dynasty today. Welcome back. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen of, of, of the day, every day. Locked On is also headed to the Senior Bowl. Get inside analysis from the hosts that cover the NFL's next generation in college and find out which NFL boards these players will be climbing all in one location. Subscribe to Locked On NFL Draft for nightly live shows from the Senior Bowl on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And speaking of the Senior Bowl, Rob, let's dive into it a little bit and talk about what wins championships, and that's defense. We both love defense, and we know that there's lots of great fantastic uh, defensive prospects here in the Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl week, the game this weekend. And so we're each going to pick five guys that, real quick that we're going to, that we're pretty excited about, five defensive players that uh, that that tickle our fancy and perhaps the Seahawks fancy as well um, that, that might feel some needs. So my first guy, uh, the Senior Bowl defenders, is Ivan Pace, the linebacker from Cincinnati. I'm the, of, of the opinion that the Seahawks need to address linebacker maybe multiple times, unfortunately, with the injury to Jordan Brooks that might cost him a decent chunk of the 2023 season. I see Ivan Pace as maybe not a complete replacement for Jordan Brooks, um, but certainly a, a, a guy that can fill in in his absence and eventually become maybe the Robin to Jordan Brooks's Batman. That'd be a, a nice combo as a part of the you know, off-ball linebackers. Um, he's been super productive everywhere he's gone. He was in Miami of Ohio, 65 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, and four sacks in 2021. Then goes to Cincinnati. 2022 this past season 81 tackles he was second in all of fbs with 20 and a half tackles for loss nine sacks he was all over the place he honestly does give me jordan brooks vibes um and so he, he has a similar skill set he's very rangy very good tackler so as far as you know, drafting a guy who i think could really not, not replace it really isn't the right word for jordan brooks but certainly soften the blow of him being gone for i think a good chunk of 2023 and then when he returns you have two really good off-ball linebackers. Yeah, I think that makes an awful lot of sense. Um, and, of course, the Seahawks invested a great deal of time a year ago in scouting the Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, of course, that, that led to Kobe Bryant being selected. So they're going to know that team very well. They're going to have some kind of eyes inside of that locker room, so to speak, just because of the, the fact that, that Bryant was so revered there. So they're going to know Pace very, very well. And, and I've got a couple of off-ball linebackers that are in Mobile right now, Nick, that, uh, that I wanted to mention for basically the exact same reason. Um, you know, Cincinnati being as high profile as it is, I feel like I know who Ivan Pace is. And so a couple of the examples that I was going to talk about, um, I, I think 
Seahawks fans and, and just college football fans, NFL fans should be kind of paying some attention to because like Pace, I think that they are going to be middle round draft picks and, and project as possible future starters in the NFL. And I'll, and I'll go with the one that maybe a lot of Seahawks fans are not so familiar with, and that being Cam Jones, the linebacker from Indiana. Uh, Jones is an interesting guy. Um, he, he played at Indiana. Indiana, of course, is not necessarily known for having great linebackers. I feel like Corbin should be on this particular, uh, you know, segments here with this. But this is a 6'1", 227-pound guy that that when he signed with the Hoosiers, I mean, he t- he turned down offers from Mississippi State and Mizzou, uh, you know, some, some big-time programs to go with the Hoosiers. Not, don't mean disrespect to the Hoosiers. Uh, and was a, an interesting player for them. But at the, at the same time, he is coming off of a foot injury that limited him to only five games this season. In those five games, he was leading all of the Big Ten in tackles. He wasn't a very productive player until that point, but he certainly was, uh, you know, those first five games. So I'm curious to see what he is going to be able to do. This is a two-time team captain. Um, and so, again, to me, he has the leadership skills. He has the size. He's one of the few linebackers in this draft class, Nick, that has the size off-ball linebacker. I think that the Seahawks are really looking for, again, 6'1", 227 pounds. So he's one I like. And then the one that a lot of the local Pacific Northwest fans should be familiar with, Dayon Henley from Washington State. Uh, Henley is a really interesting player. He's a guy that I have in my top 50, uh, prospects in this entire draft class. And, uh, I, I, I hate to, to, to be late on, on Henley because there was some people who were kind of pushing him as a, as a possible late first round selection. And I kind of poo pooed that idea, but after getting a better feel for the linebacker class and really seeing Henley's speed, uh, I do think that he's got a chance to do that. And again, this is another one who he's, he's six, one, six, zero, zero, seven. So six foot and seven eighths of an inch. So six, one, 230 pounds. He runs like a deer. I mean, this guy was a former wide receiver, uh, when he started out at Nevada, and, and to make that transition to kind of that rover linebacker, the inside linebacker position to become the star that he was for Wazoo this past season. I mean, he was a Buckus Award finalist. Wazoo's never had a Buckus Award finalist, you know, and, and he plays with physicality and speed. And those are two things, again, as we just talked about a moment ago, Nick, that the Seahawks have been lacking. So if they want to go with the local product, you, you mentioned Ivan Pace. And again, I think that that makes sense because of the intel they might have with Kobe Bryant. Well, what about the intel that the you know that Washington State might be able to provide their home city kind of a team here um, with Henley? And, and so, to me, he's one another one that makes an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks. Yeah, Henley, uber productive. You know, like you mentioned, it's super impressive going from receiver at Nevada to a standout linebacker in the Pac-12. Over 100 tackles last year. Um, over a double digit tackles for loss, four sacks, super productive. I, I'm a big production guy in college. Like, yeah, you can, especially now with the, where the Seahawks are, it's nice to take upside and traits and, you know, raw projects. And sometimes those do work out really well for you, but I like production. I like Ken, like Ken Walker. You just knew he was going to walk in and be productive as a running back if he stayed healthy, just because he did that at Michigan state. So I'm, I'm, you know, big fan of Henley for that reason. And then, like I mentioned in the in the first segment, I'm going to be super annoying this offseason. Every time I'm on, I'm going to be pounding the table. Defensive line, defensive line, defensive line. And my my next – so I'm going to do – I have one more. I have a defensive line and, like, interior, and then I have three edge guys. Um, so my first – the one interior guy I really, really like. Um, again, of course, the Jalen Carters of the world. 
obviously, you know, I want the Seahawks. I would be okay if they maybe overpaid a little bit to get up there to, to, to get him. I think he's a franchise-altering defensive tackle, but if not, and the Seahawks can still grab a very, very quality defensive lineman at five or later, um, you know, the Brzees, Murphys, and all those guys. But a guy that to look for as far as the senior bowl is Byron Young, defensive lineman from Alabama. I think that he's got some great traits, um, and he's a bit more accomplished than some of the more raw projects. 48 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, and four sacks last year. And he's a he's a bit more of a dynamic three tech guy. He can he can certainly stop the pa- or stop the run. He can he has some pass rushing uh, in his re- in his repertoire. Obviously, he's not uh, he's not a premier pass rusher, or he would probably. Um, be projected higher, but I, I believe right now he's probably looking at late day two um, area, maybe early day three. Um, so certainly, I hope the Seahawks adva- ad, you know take advantage of the defensive line talent pool earlier than Byron Young. But certainly, um, he, he's a guy to look at, and you got to have a, a, these days. You got to have a defensive tackle, three tech guy that can do both, that that can stop the run, that can use some pass rush moves, get after the quarterback. So Byron Young is one guy for me. Um, and then also just in, in staying in the SEC, but along the edge is two guys as well. Isaiah McGuire, the edge out of Mizzou. He's got those prototypical traits that you like in an edge rusher, solid run defender as well. He's very productive, 14 tackles for loss in each of his last two seasons, eight and a half sacks in, tw- in 2022. So just uber productive for Mizzou. You know, he's facing NFL talent in the SEC a lot of the time. And then lastly for a lot for, for right now is uh, Derek Hall, the edge, rusher out of Auburn um, and productive for two straight years against the SEC, much like McGuire, 24 tackles for loss and 15 and a half sacks total in the last two seasons. Great dual threat edge guys, good versus the run speed rusher. Um, so yeah, again, I'm going to be really annoying with some of these guys. I really want the Seahawks to address the defensive line, but I, I think uh, you, you can pair these guys, um, especially a guy like Hall, you can pair with the Daryl Taylors and Lieutenant Owosu's of the world. And that could be a pretty lethal combo. Yeah, Nick, you just mentioned a bunch of players that I really like. I, I'm going to talk real quick about Hall. He, he reminds me so much of another former Auburn guy, Carl Lawson. He's got this short, stocky, powerful frame and long arms, and he uses them really well to set the edge. He, he's physical. He's nasty. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Uchenna Nuosu. Uh, again, a little bit like Carl Lawson, just these short, stocky guys who just they, they punch above their weight class. And, and that's one of the things I really like about Hall. He's another guy who's on my personal top 50 board. I don't know that there's a lot of people who view him as a top 50 candidate, but I really like his game and think that he's going to continue to be productive in the NFL, just like he was in the SEC. Um, you know, you said you're going to be annoying and you're going to just kind of pound the table for the big guys. I, I'm, I'm going to try not to be annoying, but I feel very similarly as, as you do. In fact, it, I felt like it was kind of a difficult – uh, exercise that we're doing here, just trying to pick out our favorite five prospects. Because honestly, from a Seahawks perspective, I wanted to say, well, the entire defensive line, once we had this defensive conversation, you know, like I, you know, our, our listeners may notice, and I think that you said, Nick, that you don't have any linebacker, or, or excuse me, defensive backs on your list. I don't have any on my list, although every year there's going to be a lot of see hockey type corners and safeties available but yeah i'm going to be focusing on those front seven guys as well i'm going to talk about the biggest guy on my list which is actually pretty small um and we're going to talk about defensive tackles here in a couple of moments for the seahawks and that's part of the reason why is because seattle actually has a fair number of defensive tackles already signed for next year and that may limit how how 
how aggressive they are in defensive line. I would love for them to get Jalen Carter or any number of the defensive tackles in this class, but I think that they might be looking for a guy who could also play that five technique, that outside role, and be able to hold up to the point of attack and then be able to slide inside, a la Michael Bennett in, in, in past years. Um, and to me, the guy that's the most interesting in that regard, and there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there who have been talking about Keon White from Georgia Tech, but I am another of them. He's just a shade under 6'5". He's 280 pounds. He's got 33 and a half inch arms. He has enough burst and bend to him to be effective as an edge rusher. He can. He's strong, as I was mentioning before. Um, you know his his ability to hold up at the point of attack, slide inside defensive tackle. He he does something that kind of reminds me of Michael Bennett. Uh, you know, Bennett, of course, was so prone to all those, uh, you know, those offsides penalties and things like that. But he also did a great job of really kind of twisting his shoulders to be able to kind of get skinny and get through those gaps. That's one of the things that I see with, with Keon White and just the pure athletic ability. Nick, there's there's a play where Keon White is a, a 280-pound defensive lineman is asked to peel off and in a, in a zone blitz cover a running back down the field into the end zone. I think it was against Virginia. And it just you see a man who's 280 pounds running with a running back who is maybe 200 pounds, and he's step for step with him. So this guy is going to absolutely blow up workouts. We know how much Pete Carroll and John Schneider like that too. And his his uh, career, statistics-wise, was so up and down. So my big question at the Senior Bowl is like, you know, let's put up a shut-up time. Let's see what you got. And he's he's been earning some rave reviews so far. I, I want to see him be able to finish out the week if he's going to be somebody I think the Seahawks are going to be paying close attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, Keon White's another guy who's he's that's that freak factor in a good way. I, I just like that a lot. 14 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks for Georgia Tech last year. ACC's no joke as well. So he, he's been playing some premier talent. For me, another guy, my last guy I want to look at, and then I'll, Rob, I'll give you another name or two if you want. Um, a guy I like is Will McDonald, the edge rusher from Iowa State. Again, uber productive. I'm looking for production along the defensive line and the, and the rushers. 27 sacks and 33 and a half tackles for loss in the last three seasons for Iowa State. So the last three years, he has been very, very productive along that defensive line. First team all Big 12 in 2021. Again, pairing him with the likes of Daryl Taylor, Uchenna Nwosu, um, getting him under that tutelage, I think would be fantastic. So again, I, I got three edge guys. I got an off-ball linebacker and an interior defensive lineman. Again, yeah, you can name the guys like, you know, the JL Skinners of the world in Boise State. Um, it was a guy I was looking at, but man, just if the Seahawks can just not only get good, but like get vicious and nasty along the defensive line, uh, which they have the opportunity to do in this NFL draft. And so that's why I'm so passionate about it. Um, that a lot of things can, uh, can, uh, you know, settle in its place. So any other names, Rob, before we move on that, that stick out to you? Yeah, a couple of other edge rushers that I'm intrigued by. Um, again, to me, what the Senior Bowl is all about, Nick, is really being able to watch players that uh, you know maybe played in a different scheme or played against inferior talent, and now they get this opportunity um, to play against the best of the best. So Thomas Incum, um, an edge rusher from Central Michigan, um, you know, he talk about production. I mean, my goodness, he had 11 and a half sacks this past season, 19 tackles for loss. Those both ranked within the 
the top 10 in, in all of college football. He's got some twitch and bend to him as well. He's another guy who transferred previously, was at Valdosta State, where he had one spectacular season and kind of dropped off and then had a spectacular season here again with Central Michigan. And, you know, you think, okay, Central Michigan, like, you know, what's the likelihood that a Central Michigan guy is going to come into the NFL and be ultra productive? But, you know, Max Crosby has become a stud with the Raiders, and he played at Eastern Michigan. Uh, Matthew Judon, had 15 and a half sacks this past season for the Patriots, you know, and he played at Grand Valley State. Alex Highsmith was a stud for the Steelers this year. He had 14 and a half sacks. He played at Charlotte. So again, you get these guys that have these short stubby frames as all of the players I just mentioned kind of have, do. I guess Crosby's a longer, leaner kind of a guy. But, you know, the, these three, four edge linebackers, that to me is one of the beautiful things about Seattle playing with this scheme that they're playing with is that some of the, the so-called tweener players that, you know, some teams can't really fit onto their team, Seattle can, and there's a number of those guys. And some of them in, in Mobile right now do play with the physicality at the point of attack that I think that Seattle has been lacking. And Incum is another one of them. Finally, this guy, I don't know that he necessarily plays the physicality that I think that Seattle is lacking, but he sure is a bendy athlete and somebody I am personally rooting for a lot. And that's Andre Carter II from Army. Uh, this kid is 6'7", 260 pounds. And, you know, Nicky moves like a tight end. I mean, 6'7", 252 pounds, excuse me. I mean, he is just so athletic. I mean, it's just hard to imagine that somebody as agile as he is played, uh, you know, for one of the academies. Um, I think that this guy has a chance to be a top 50 selection. Again, he made my top 50. That's certainly the highest that we have seen anybody go in a long, long time from the, the service academy. So I'm just, I'm rooting him on. He does not play with the, the, the greatest of physicality, as I mentioned before. He's not quite the, um, you know, dominant one-on-one -on -one tackler that you might expect for a guy this size. He needs to add some weight. Um, but at the same time, the the upside of this kid, in, in a year or two, I really think that Andre Carter II could really be something special. And so he is somebody that I definitely need to keep an eye on in Mobile as well. Yeah, he's certainly a guy that's uh, easy to root for, um, mm -hmm. as most of those military uh, service academy guys are. When we return for our final segment, we will Rob and I will break down the defensive tackles for the Seahawks and give the that unit a grade for the 2022 season. This episode is brought to you by your way by Built Bar. Looking for a delicious treat but want, don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise that taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built with Built Healthy. Healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious you won't think that they're good for you. Perhaps are perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they're covered with 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate, and they come in unbelievably, um, they come in unbelievably great flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. Churro is actually one of my favorites. And I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar a four box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. 
If you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for the Lockdown Seahawks or for the Lockdown because they're the number one sportsbook in America, FanDuel. And if you are new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on sport, on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Looking forward to the big game. I'm looking. I'm leaning towards taking a big swing, of course, with Travis Kelsey as my MVP pick at plus 1,200. He, that's a good pick for me. He's, he's a top tight end in this league. The FanDuel Sports app is safe, secure, super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid. Uh, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com/lockedon to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com/lockedon. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Welcome back, and thanks again for making Lockdown Seahawks your first listen every day. Again, Lockdown is heading to the the Senior Bowl. Get inside analysis from the hosts that covered the NFL's next generation in college and find out which NFL draft boards these players will be climbing all in one location. Subscribe to Lockdown NFL Draft on nightly live shows from the Senior Bowl on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Now, Rob, let's talk defensive line. I know we've been talking a lot. Of, we've been a pretty defensive line heavy show today, uh, but we're going to do one more here. And just a season in review, the Seahawks is specifically at defensive tackle this year. Um, just to throw out a few numbers that I think uh, merits, is if we're going to give this unit a grade, um, obviously the, it's a collective you know, group of players. But as a whole, yes, the Seahawks were actually top 10 in sacks this year that they, they, their pass rush at times was, was pretty productive, but against the run, they were 27th in yards per carry allowed and 30th in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per game. So certainly some concerning trends there and um, some frustrating uh, trends along the defensive line at times. So how, how do you grade this defensive tackle specifically group as a whole with, uh, with, with some of the stats we've seen and some of the players in it? Well, I think as a collective group, Nick, I think that it's appropriate that defensive tackle starts with the letter D <laughs> just because that, you know, the, the, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, I think that if we were to break down each individual player, then I think that the individual players grades might be higher. Um, you know, like for me, Al Woods, I thought was one of the most dominant players on Seattle's roster last year. I thought he was one of the most dominant players in the year on the roster the year before too. At the same time, I mean, the man is aging. And, and so Seattle obviously has to have a plan in the future. Um, and then you, of course, if we're going to talk about players and, and the future, then you got to talk about the, the, the future of Shelby Harris and how much money that he is owed. I, I thought that he was arguably Seattle's most consistent of their defensive tackles, but was he a superstar and the amount of money that he is due next year certainly pays him as if he was a superstar. And you can, again, if you're going to have that rationale, then what about Puna Ford? I mean, as we've talked about in this program a couple of different times this year, Puna Ford earned more money in base salary than anybody else on Seattle's team a year ago. And, and the fact that he didn't produce any type of big numbers. So Again, I, I think that there is some some steady play. Uh, I think that there is some some concern more about 
players being asked to perform roles that they weren't really well suited to handle. Um, I, I thought that that Quentin Jefferson, for one, again, if we're going to take a positive, I thought that the way that he finished down the stretch, I thought was was really encouraging. I basically thought that he was going to be kind of in that C to D range, maybe even lower than that at the halfway point. But I think that that you know he pulled through during finals week, so to speak. And, and so I think that you got to kind of give him some credit there. So again, I, I think we're talking about C minus D plus. And I'm trying to be fair because I do think that Seattle's defensive tackles do, again, have individual talent. But the reality is, is they were blown off the ball far too often, far too consistently uh, to be able to give them any type of, of higher grade than that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's hard to loop in some of the stats, you know, like rushing yards allowed per game or sacks, especially or some of the stats. Yeah, it's just with defensive tackles specifically, because um, a lot of that was boosted by some of the, the good play that they got along the edge the edges. So um, for me, the, the, the units, it, it, they, they played, like you mentioned, the, the, some of the players would earn grades. They definitely played less to the sum of their parts. Um, Al, Al Woods was maybe the exception. I thought, you know, maybe even a pro bowl snub. I thought he had a, a pretty darn good year. Um, I, I know that his position isn't necessarily sexy um, to, to most, um, but he did tie career high of five tackles for loss, two sacks. He's actually 32nd in the NFL as far as uh, run grades for interior defensive linemen, which, you know, when you think about how many each team deploys in a year, you know, he's above average. Um, so it's, he's certainly had an above average season as far as the NFL goes, but it's weighed down by the guys like, you know, LJ Collier, just a total bust. Unfortunately, um, didn't know, only played more than 20 snaps in two games this whole year. Um, Miles Adams did, did some good things. I think he was kind of, um, he wasn't asked to do a whole ton with Al Woods in there. Um, and, and you mentioned Quentin Jefferson, I thought was a great pickup. And uh, Brian Monet, before, unfortunately for that injury, was was filling in okay. Um, so as a whole, I think I, I was I was le- I was leaning D plus C minus range. But if you take out Al Woods, it's uh, it's not pretty. Honestly, it's not pretty. Puna Ford did not live up to what he was paid. He was pretty disappointing, honestly. Um, compared to what he was being paid. He was being paid like a premier defensive tackle, and uh, he, he did not perform to that. Uh, he he did had some good things, okay. He just He's not that that dual threat. When I mentioned that with, with D tackles, it's the, the pass rushing ability with the run stopping. He's, he's pr- proven that he's not exactly the greatest run defender. Um, he did, you know, he did uh, display some versatility. He had, uh, he doubled his snaps for, of his career high and snaps that were outside the tackle. So he, he did have some, um, some interesting spots there and willingness to, to do what was best for the team. But, you know, the, the pro football focus grades dropped some of the, the other stats dropped for him. So that was disappointing. So I'm going to go D plus um, just because of, of Al Woods. If it's not without, uh, without Al Woods, it's uh, it, D minus might be generous, <laughs> um, which is why, again, we're going to I'm going to be pounding the table all offseason. And I, I believe that this is the greatest need of this team is along the defensive line and then at center. Those are my two that I really, really think of, of course, quarterback, you know, you're going to keep your ear to the ground. If, if one or two of those top quarterbacks drop to five, like we mentioned, um, definitely, you know, you'd be irresponsible not to look at those guys. Um, but you win Super Bowls in the trenches. And I think we're in the business of winning Super Bowls, I'm hoping. And you see those two, these two teams that are playing in the Super Bowl, the Eagles and the Chiefs, you got <laughs> that the Eagles are unbelievable. They got, you know, Fletcher Cox, Hassan Reddick. I mean, and Brandon Graham, those guys are nuts. 
Chris Jones on the other side. I keep saying, like, wherever the Chiefs went to go shop for Chris Jones, the Seahawks need to go to that store. <laughs> um, yeah. So this the defensive line as a whole, I think, was one of the more disappointing position groups uh, in the Seahawks for the 2022 season. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, and I think that, uh, again, it, it is a, a huge area of concern for this team because things aren't going to get easier. Um, you know, of course, once the L.A. Rams get a little bit healthier, then they're going to be back. And the San Francisco 49ers, whoever is playing at the quarterback position, Shanahan is going to continue to run the football. Um, you know, and, and so it's just you – and until the Seahawks prove they can stop the run, then every single opponent in 20 uh, or next season is going to be playing on just running the football all over again. You know, so I, I think that it is critical that Seattle kind of addresses, uh, you know, some of those shortcomings again. And I don't know that it's always, again, the individual talent. I think that sometimes it's just how Seattle use those defensive linemen. Like we talked about Puna Ford for a moment there. I, I just think that, Puna Ford is a, is a good player. He's not a great player and he was paid to be a great player. And so I don't know that you can blame him. You know, I mean, Hey, I, I'm, I'm not a great analyst, but if you want to pay me as a great analyst, I'd love it. You know? And so that's the thing is that I, I, I struggle with, knowing how hard they worked, knowing the fact that this was the first year defensive coordinator, uh, you know, there, there were some, a, a lot of adjustments that were being made. So I, I do struggle to give them too poor of a grade, but at the same time, again, all that really matters is you got pushed down the field and gave up touchdowns again. And, and that was the storyline week in and week out. And, and so uh, I, I think that we have to be honest with the grades for Seattle's defensive line. And the reality is, is it just wasn't good enough. Yeah. And the, you know, the departing our LJ Collier, I don't see any way they bring him back, honestly. And uh, the Puna Ford it, it also set to be a free agent. So there's definitely going to be some shuffling along the deck there. A defensive tackle and like we've been hammering home this is an extremely talented defensive tackle interior lineman uh draft and the seahawks have the bullets in, in you know in the holster to to go and get one or two of these guys and i think they absolutely need to because we're all going to be sitting in the seahawks fans are going to be watching the super bowl not their team partly due to a poor defensive tackle group honestly and uh, this this draft is a huge opportunity to 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 change that and maybe have championship aspirations in 2023. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at NickLee51. Baseball season is coming soon, so I apologize in advance. And you can follow Rob at Rob Rang as well. Thank you very much for listening, and enjoy this Pro Bowl. It's a Senior Bowl week, Pro Bowl as well. Uh, lots of going on, even though it's you know kind of the dead zone between now and the Super Bowl. There's plenty going on in the football world, so keep, keep tuned, keep listening, and thanks as always. Go Hawks.